You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come centered on Jesus Christ. In our Philippian sermon series, we've seen that Paul's basic message in this letter is obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the theme verse of the entire letter, I think, is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At every turn in the letter, around every corner in this epistle, we've seen Paul again and again unpack this truth. Now, I want to give you several verses support this. I'm to try to write all these down and read these verses. Just take a note of them as far as the references go. But listen to what Paul says about obedience to the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul thanks God for the Philippians' obedience to the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, he demonstrates his faithfulness to the gospel by stating that he rejoices because the gospel is being preached even though some preach it with the wrong, wrong motives. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, Paul urges the Philippians to obey the gospel, to live in obedience, to stand firm as a united body, a unified body in their fight for the gospel, and not to fear those who are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he presents Jesus. The perfect example of what it means to obey the gospel. When he says, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to exploit for his own advantage. But he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of man. And he found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself to the point of obedience, even obedience on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, Paul commands the Philippians to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen to this. Just as they had always... Obey. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, Paul presents two examples of obedience to the gospel Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy served Paul as a father, our son serves his father in the ministry. And Epaphroditus was faithful in obedience even to the point where he became sick. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, Paul again presents himself as an example of the gospel. 
And he says that he considered his previous example, his previous accomplishments as a Pharisee, as rubbish. When he compared those things to the advantage and to the valuable prize of following Jesus Christ. This morning's text, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 and 9, Paul again tells us to obey the gospel. And I think that's the main point of this text. Y'all still with me this morning? My greatness. The basic point of the text. Stand firm in the gospel. Obey the gospel. Verse 1, notice it. Paul commands the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord. Now, I think by this he means, as I've said, obey the gospel. Because he's just shown us in three chapters the importance of obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. But more specifically, in verses 2 through 9, I think Paul supports my interpretation of the text. Because he gives a series of commands here related to obedience to the gospel. First, in verse 2, he commands these two sisters in Christ, in the church at Philippi, to get along in the Lord and to stop causing division in the body. Verse 2, he says, I exhort Euodia and Syntyche to have the same mind in the Lord. Or in other words, to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't know what these women were disagreeing about. We don't know what their beef was over. Perhaps it was over politics. Well, that was a Roman colony after all. Maybe one was a citizen and another was not. We don't know. Maybe it was over what the first century version of Facebook and Twitter would have been. Maybe there's some kind of dispute, something that was said publicly and appropriately. Maybe they were calling each other names. But what we do know is that their behavior was contrary to the gospel. It lived in the opposite way for which Jesus demanded them to live. And Paul writes in these verses to tell these two sisters in Christ quite simply to stop it. Stop living in a manner antithetical to the gospel. Verse 3, Paul makes a rather odd statement. He says, in verse 3, appeals to this genuine yoke fellow to receive these two sisters. We don't know who this yoke fellow is. Could be a person in the church, or it could be an exhortation to the church at Philippi as a whole to receive these sisters in the Lord. But here's the major point, I think, of the text. The behavior of these two women was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul says in verse 3 that these women fought together with me and with Clement and the rest of our fellow workers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That their names 
are written in the book of life. But for some reason now, their behavior is antithetical to the gospel. Isn't it surprising that Christians would actually be divisive? No, it's not surprising. That's your one joke this old sermon. You didn't laugh, no more jokes. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we must understand this very important truth. The gospel is a message that we preach. Yes and amen. The gospel is about God absorbing the wrath of God in Jesus Christ and offering Him as a substitutionary atonement for our sins and raising Him up from the dead so that we can be justified by faith. And the gospel is also about what God has done horizontally to reconcile us to one another. And the gospel is also about what God has done cosmologically to begin the restoration of creation. Just read the book of Galatians, for example. The gospel is, yes, a message that we preach, but it's also a message that we apply and a message that we obey. We don't just preach sermons. But we live in spirit-empowered obedience to the gospel. These women fought with Paul in the spread of the gospel. They labored with him in gospel ministry. But their divisive behavior toward one another is contrary to the gospel. Paul wants them to stop it. Brothers and sisters, some of us this morning need to stop it. We need to stop slandering one another. We need to stop gossiping. We need to stop spreading lies. We need to stop believing and spreading conspiracy theories. We need to stop pursuing relationships that are not honoring to Jesus. We need to stop using speech that is not seasoned with gospel, spirit, and power salt. Some of y'all must stop fornicating. Some of y'all must stop contemplating unfaithfulness to your marriages. Some of y'all must stop pursuing relationships with people that are inappropriate. The Apostle Paul wants us to stop disobeying the gospel. Can I get one witness this morning? And he wants us to live in obedience to the gospel. Because if you don't obey the gospel, you don't believe the gospel. Second. Can y'all hear me okay? Second, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4, he commands the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is important to Paul's theology. Because he says it twice in this one verse. Rejoice in the Lord, I say it again, rejoice. This is not the first time Paul has talked about rejoicing or joy. And it's not the last time he's going to listen rejoicing. I'll give you a few examples. In fact, I'll give you everything. 
Philippians chapter 1 verse 4. Paul says he prayed for the Philippians with joy. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 25. He wants to remain with the Philippians for their joy. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 2. He commands the Philippians to fulfill his joy by being united. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 29, he commands them to receive Epaphroditus with all joy. In chapter 4, verse 1, he calls the Philippians his brothers, his sisters, his crown, his longed-for ones, and his joy. He also talks about rejoicing. Chapter 1, verse 18, he says he rejoices. Now remember this, Paul is incarcerated. Chained to a Roman soldier. Rejoicing when the gospel is being preached by those who are not incarcerated. Even when they preach it with the wrong motives. Philippians chapter 2 verses 17 and 18. Paul says he rejoices with the Philippians because he was being poured out for their faith as a sacrifice. And he in turn commands them to rejoice. His joy in Christ should lead to their joy in Christ because he is incarcerated for their joy. Philippians chapter 2 verse 28 Paul says that he sent the once, the once sick but healed Epaphroditus to the Philippians so that they would see he is well and would rejoice because they were afraid that his sickness would lead to death. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And 4.4 he says again, rejoice in the Lord. And 4.10 he says he rejoices in the Lord. Here's a question. What is joy? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, I do not think Paul means here that we should have a good feeling in the Lord, in our circumstances. Because when Paul makes this statement, he is in prison. And he did not want to be there. And we know this because in Philippians chapter 1, he said he longed for them. And in chapter 4 he says again, he longs for them. He wants to be with them. Instead, I think joy and rejoicing in the Lord refers or commands us to hope in God in Christ. To hope in the saving promises of God in Christ. Two reasons. Number one, Paul says in verse 6 that we should not worry about anything. Try that kind of pandemic, right? Much of my summer has been eaten up with anxiety and fear. Because of uncertainty. Don't y'all be looking at me like you're more spiritual than I. You've been afraid too. Or if you're going to lose your job. 
Worried your kids will get sick if they go back to school. Worried that you can't pay the mortgage if you don't have a job. But Paul tells us in verse 6 that we should not worry, by which he means that we should take all of our concerns to the Lord in prayer. So notice the object of the joy. Are y'all with me? The object of the joy is not my circumstances. It is the God in whom I'm taking my anxieties to in prayer. Second, verse 7, Paul promises if we cast our anxieties before the Lord in prayer, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Thus here, I think Paul means this when he says rejoice in the Lord. He says fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. He means entrust yourselves to Jesus Christ. He means keep clinging to Jesus and keep believing by faith that he has and he will fulfill all of his saving promises for his people. You keep believing that no matter what, that the God who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Did y'all believe that this morning? He's not going to abandon us right now. He began the work in us when we believe. And he's going to continue the work in us to believe. He means you keep working at your salvation with fear and trembling. Because God has worked in you. He means you keep being content in Christ when you have little and when you have much because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord. He means you keep standing firm in the gospel. And if you, and if you doubt that's what he means, let me just remind you again what he said in the first verse that we read. He said, stand firm in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is a spiritual discipline. It doesn't happen automatically. Joy, just like faith, is a gift from God. Brothers and sisters, you must put in the work to fight for joy. To hold on to your faith. And you're not doing the work by yourself. You're relying upon what God has done for you in Christ and the power of the Spirit. And you're relying upon the people of God. Yes, from a distance. But you're still relying upon the people of God who can in turn increase your confidence in this joy. And enable you to cultivate that joy. You fight against your lack of joy by reminding yourself of what God has done for you in Christ. You'll find yourselves, Midtown, in this pandemic and beyond, casting all of your cares and all of your anxieties, and you have them before the Lord 
in prayer. And then the Lord might just do something about that. He might just give you the peace that surpasses all human understanding. The kind of peace that compels you to keep following Jesus Christ even in the midst of a global pandemic. Even in the midst of racial tension. Even in the midst of chaos. Can I get a second witness this morning? Y'all still with me? Some of y'all can testify to this today, can't you? Some of y'all can testify to the fact that though you have very few earthly reasons to have joy, you have joy. Because you have Christ. And you are confident that God in Christ, some way, somehow, you don't know how, but some way, somehow, He's going to guard your minds and your heart in Christ. And there's coming a day when He returns, when He will return and make all wrong right. And therefore, we rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, Paul says, we rejoice. Third, I'm done. Paul says in verses 8 and 9 that we need to do what is right. He commands us in verse 9 to do these things. But these things that he refers to here refers back to the virtues that he mentioned in verse 8 where he says as many things are true, as many things are honorable, as many things are right, as many things are pure, and as many things are pleasing or lovely, and as many things are worthy of praise, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, y'all consider these things. In verse 9, Paul says that the Philippians should do these things because they learned these things from him. He says they learned these things from him. They received these things from him. They heard these things from him. And watch this. They saw these things in him. He didn't just drive in town and preach sermons and then leave. He lived in a manner worthy of the gospel in the midst. In the power of the Spirit. That's how they saw that he practiced what he preached. And Paul says, y'all imitate that. You don't imitate these gospel hustlers who are just in this thing to make money. You don't imitate these gospel hustlers whose whole life is built upon the premise of trying to destroy everything that disagrees with their perspective. He says, y'all imitate what he did in Philippi. Plant that church. And if you do that, verse 9b, he says, the God of peace will be with you all. The God of peace is the same God who gives the peace that passes all understanding. When we cast our anxieties and care before him in prayer, verse 6, this peace likely refers to the peace we receive from God when we come to saving faith in Jesus 
Christ. And it's a peace that has real horizontal effects in our lives as we live in the midst of real people in a broken world. The reason I think this is right is because Paul says in verse 5, listen to this, the Philippians to let their gentleness Man, tell that for a second. There's nothing godly about being mean. About lacking compassion. About hating all people that disagree with you. There's nothing gospel about that. Let your compassion, let your gentleness be known to all human beings. That's really how you should read that verse. And here's the reason, verse 5, because the Lord is near. In other words, he's coming back to judge you. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. So one motivation, not the only, but a pretty good motivation to obey the gospel is fear of God's wrath. Amen? And some of y'all would say, well, love for Jesus. And I would say, both and. Love for Jesus and fear of suffering wrath from him. The Lord's going to return someday and he's going to judge those with his fierce and unrelenting wrath who rejected him. And you know this, don't you? You know this. Only those who follow Jesus faithfully will receive eternal life. You know that, right? This piece also, I think, refers to a poised and calm disposition before the Lord in a broken world. Because Paul connects this piece to anxiety and prayer in verse 6. Brothers and sisters, way of application, we must obey the gospel. We must stand firm in the Lord. We must love one another and our neighbors. You can't pick who your neighbor is. Your neighbor's everybody. Even those with whom you disagree, that's your neighbor. Love them wisely, responsibly, but love them. Here's some specific next steps. Do all things that are good and pleasing to the Lord. Speak with grace and with truth in this moment. Quite frankly, many Christians look foolish in the biblical sense of the term and silly in this moment as they spit out hatred, as they spit out lies, as they spit out things that are not pleasing to the Lord. The Lord is calling us to be a people who speak and walk and act in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel in the midst of a crooked, perverse, distorted, evil, crooked world. Amen? Amen. But unfortunately, Christians are so selfish at times in this moment that we want to argue about freedom instead of wearing a mask to protect those who are most vulnerable. Come talk to me about your freedom. Christ freed us to be free. Yes, yes. 
Stand firm, therefore, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And don't lose your freedom as an occasion to gratify your selfish sinful flesh. But here's how you use your freedom, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You use your freedom to be a slave to your neighbor in love. And if you don't like it, blame Paul the Apostle. That's what he says. Another application. Don't be arrogant. Gossip. Don't backbite. Don't lie on one another. Some of y'all, you need to stay off social media. Listen, the Lord can use social media, but there's so much evil on social media as well. 